Good afternoon, everyone. This is Marjorie Papsteinmetz, and this is Caregivers Speak. Welcome to all of you. We're so glad that you've joined our show today. A couple of thank yous. Uh, Thank you to eCare Diary, who support this show, and um, we get such great feedback that their work is is so very important, so their support is appreciated. Um, My website is mycaregivingcoach.com, and together with eCare Diary, we provide a whole host of resources on both of our websites, so be sure to look for those. Today, we welcome back a guest. Um, I think she was on our show maybe toward a couple of years ago, Dr. Diane Robinson. And our topic today is, what in the world is psychoneuron immunology and why should it matter for caregivers? Well, indeed, it does matter for caregivers. And uh, Dr. Robinson, I think this is probably the longest word that has ever been introduced <laughs> on caregivers. <laughs> well, I know it's a bit of a mouthful, so I'll say it slowly. So it's the field is called psychoneuroimmunology. So for short, it's PNI, and that's a lot easier to get our mouth around is PNI. But uh, yeah, there <laughs> is. I love it. Well, we're so happy you're with us. Uh, Dr. Robinson is the program director of Integrative Medicine. We'll find out more about what that exactly means as well. Uh, She's at the UF Cancer Center, Cancer Research Center, at the Orlando Regional Medical Center in Orlando, Florida. And she does a lot of amazing work with uh, cancer patients and their caregivers. So today we're really going to look at this long word uh, that we're going to shorten to PNI, and we're going to talk about its impact on your emotions and, even more importantly, on your immune, immune system. So, Dr. Robinson, let's start with the obvious. What in the world is, and I'm going to say it again just for fun, psychoneuron immunology? What is okay. that? So psychoneuroimmunology is a specific field that studies the interactions between your central nervous system, the endocrine system, and the immune system. So your central nervous system is basically your brain and the spinal column. Your endocrine system is the part of your body that generates hormones, which are chemical, you know, little chemical messengers, and the immune system, which is really your resources to fight the bad guys that are out there. And so it's the field that looks at the interactions between those three systems and the impact behavior and stress has on those interactions and then the implications for the health. So if you look at that big, long district, uh, description, it was by a very famous um, physiologist, Ronald Glasser, uh, and it, he, he, you know, that's the one that I basically use. But essentially, if I was going to put it simply for you, Marjorie, it's the study of the effect of the mind on health and resistance to disease. Wow. And, you know, I think what you just said is something that more and more people are becoming aware of and cognizant of, that their minds do affect their bodies. And so what an important topic. Um, And so that's where the integrative part comes from. Right, Dr. Robinson? 
Yeah, well, you know, here's here's the thing that most of us think of, you know, our mind as one thing and our bodies as something sort of separate, but really it's only one body. And, you know, it all works together in a very intricate system of feedback from, from one organ to another, from the brain to a, an arm. I mean, it's just this incredibly complex system. So what I think we sometimes forget is that thoughts and and feelings are actually electrophysiological events in our bodies so so thoughts aren't some airy fairy little clouds they are chemical events and electrical events that happen and that can trigger a whole cascade of other um other systems and it, it can influence the health of those systems and it can influence what other chemicals start to be released by other parts of your body. So PNI is a really interesting field because it starts to take that holistic view of the human body, not just breaking it into systems, but looking at how do our thoughts impact everything in our body. And um, really in PNI, because we've got psychoneuroimmunology, we have psychoneuroendocrinology, there's a lot of different fields in this area. But what makes PNI so interesting is that how, how our thoughts and our behaviors actually influence how well our immune system is fighting those diseases and, and building our overall health. And we've got a couple of different areas actually in our immune system. So yeah, the immune system itself is an incredibly complex um, you know, system, and we've got like, like these layers of how we fight off disease. Well, your first layer, if you look down, Margie, and you look there at your, your lovely hand that's in front of you, you'll, you see immediately you've got your skin. So, that, you know, your body has certain barriers, and that's your first line of defense. Your skin, um, the mucous membranes in your nose, and, um, you know, any other cavities in your body, and, and secretions on your skin. You know, where our skin's a little acidic, it, it can help fight, you know, the bad guys that are out there. And you're fighting bad guys of these different bugs and germs, Margie, 24 7. So we start off with the barrier system, and then we have a second line of defense, which is internal inside our bodies. We've got these wonderful white blood cells. We have some antimicrobial proteins that are in our bodies. And then our final line of defense is our body actually learns how to fight specific um, different you know, bacteria or fungi or whatever it is. It can actually hone in on them and become very, very specialized. Now, the reason why these specific defense mechanisms that we have are so important is that a lot of the controls of how many of these white blood cells are released come from signals that are get sent from the brain. So when our thoughts start to, to trigger certain, um, certain chemicals under conditions of chronic stress, it can start to alter the messages that the immune function and the immune system is sending out. So that's when psychoneuroimmunology becomes so important. And it's a very complicated field, but we're going to try and break it down as simply as we can today. Yes. So this is so interesting. So of um, what we're thinking um, on a daily basis. So I'm assuming I'm going to extrapolate from that and just say, so it sounds like if I'm thinking positive thoughts more often than negative thoughts, I'm keeping my immune system as a very fine barrier, thank you, to all those bad guys. But if I'm thinking negative thoughts more frequently, um, then the opposite could be true. So is that right? 
in in a sense, and and obviously I'm going to try and simplify a very complex system. Um, and I wish we had something that I could break it down so simply and say absolutely right. But I, what it what it really is is when your body is under chronic stress. There's there's a there's parts of your brain that start to change. So our stress system is incredibly adaptive, right? So um, we all have heard, hopefully, I think most of us have heard of the fight or flight, right? So this yes. is when, you know, you hear these amazing stories about a mother who, you know, lifted a car off her child with this enormous strength. Well, fight or flight is when your body marshals all its resources it takes, you know, like the sugars that have been stored in your liver, it shoots them out into your muscles, uh, it gets your heart rate faster. It has all of these different chemical changes that happen in our body to prepare itself to fight. That's why I call it the fight and flight. Well, what happens in circumstances, for example, when we're a caregiver? And we don't know from hour to hour what's going to happen. You know, we don't know how the person that we love so much, how they're going to react. Or, and, and we have this constant wearing down of our system because we're kind of always on watch. This um, immense mm. fight or flight system, you know, we're primed, okay, we, we need to react. Now, although we're not in a fight for life and death, our system doesn't really know the difference because, we, you know, our anxiety builds so high that it's sort of being primed. Well, what we know is that if we're constantly being primed day in, day out, day in, day out, but we don't really have a release for it. It's not like a one and done where, you know, potentially you might be driving and then a car cuts in front and you jam on your brakes and you know everything, your body is trembling and shaking afterwards, but then it's one and done. We have this chronic activation of this stress system that starts to change how your brain responds. And that's when we have some evidence that um, it, the, it starts to change the way the immune system communicates internally. Uh, and so this is when P&I comes in. So this idea that chronic stress yeah. becomes this sort of, it's a very slow, long-term process. Um, uh. And I can give you a good example of this uh, to try maybe help to explain this very complicated topic a little bit more simply because... You might ask me, you know, how do we know this is going on, right? So one way is almost all of us every year we get our flu shot, right? Hopefully, Margie, did you have your flu shot? Not yet, but I'm going to get it next month. Next month, right, when it starts without the <laughs> yeah. new flu system. Well, so so what we do with flu, what what we're doing is we're looking at that uh, an immune, the, the part of the immune system, remember I said there's three parts, which is the third line of yeah. defense. It's the most complicated. It's a specific defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. So that's when we give you a little bit of um, of that disease, and our body learns to be on the lookout for it, that that's the bad guy. And, you know, if, uh, if anyone spots this, you know, we're going to sound the alarms and we're going to have some specific action against that flu virus that hopefully will um, – will make sure that it doesn't develop fully. So what happens when you give someone a flu shot, it, it marshals the resources and your body learns what that is. It's like a lock and key. It creates some uh, very specific parts of the immune system called lymphocytes to, to understand uh, and only hone in if a, another one of these guys come again. And so it sort of generates 
um, a whole new, uh, uh, it's called cell-mediated immunity, and they're called T-cells. So a whole legion of these T-cells who can recognize this potential foreign invader, okay? Hmm. If we look at people who are caregivers and they receive that flu shot, and, and research has done this, what we find is how the body responds in the generation of, um, of these type of cells, these T cells that eventually will have memory to them that can go and combat, the, should they come in contact with the flu virus again, we find that caregivers will produce less of them. So, so it's, a, it's, a very, it's very important. So then their yeah. immune function, that is how we know the immune function of caregivers when they're under stress like this is not mm. being as, an, as efficient and as active as those mm -hmm. who are not caregiving. When, when we hold, hold all of those other variables, you know, um, even so they're yeah. the same age, the same sex, they have the same type of, um, you know, uh, medical illness, like where they have diabetes, um, you know. So we compare them on everything. So the only difference will be caregivers. So we know that their immune function is just not working as well by something as simple as looking at the titers after um, they've been given a flu yeah. vaccine. That's a really, really, really good analogy. So can I again uh, uh, extrapolate that someone who is chronically uh, caregiving, uh, whatever time that is, a year, more than a year, or more than two years, or whatever, mm -hmm. get into being a uh, caring for a chronic disease that over time, uh, perhaps in the first year or two, not so bad, but then as time goes on, your immune system can gradually become more and more compromised. Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, and there's a couple of different theories um, that, that, that look at the why. There's sort of a wear and tear hypothesis, which suggests over time caregivers functioning is going to steadily decline as a result of all of this prolonged stress. Um, there's another theory that says, though, you're actually, there's an adaptation hypothesis that says, no, actually, people will start to adapt, and, and over time, their physical and mental health may, may actually stabilize. And then there's a sort of a third model that says um, that actually, despite, in spite of dementia progress, caregivers may function well because of their individual characteristics. So then it gets down to sort of, there's an awful lot of us out there, and we're all very very unique you know we all have different strengths and weaknesses sure. so it just sort of depends on what kind of internal and external resources you have but th those are the sort of the three the three yeah. areas um and and so go ahead yeah i was going to say this is all just so interesting um but i think we probably have convinced most of those out there that your immune system uh from this caregiver being on watch all the time, the immune system, always, the body always being on watch for what could happen in a given day. You know, you just think you've got a plan and then it's all changed because of your caregiving and the, the needs of the person that you're caregiving for. So what do we do about this, Dr. Robinson? Yeah. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm convinced. <laughs> you're now. convinced, right? Oh, you are. Okay. So, so what can we do to uh, bolster I, our immune systems yeah. if, we're, if we're on watch all the time? What right. happens? So, so part of it is, is 
I guess acknowledging that that you have this going on in your life. A lot of uh, a lot of people say, "Oh no, I can do this. I've got this. I really, you know, I don't need any help. I mean, it's my duty. It's my responsibility." So, so part of it is acknowledging, "No, this really is stressful. This is very difficult." And if I ask for help, it doesn't mean that I don't love my spouse or it doesn't mean that I don't love my father, whatever role you're playing within that caregiving. It's just acknowledging this is a lot and it's okay to ask for help Um, because I think a lot of folks carry, you know, guilt for asking for, for, you know, for help. And so that's sort of, for me, is step one is if people are offering help, accept it. And, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe in your eyes they don't do a good a job as you can and, and, Maybe that's true, but sometimes it's going to be good enough because if you don't take care of yourself first, it's like that old airline thing that we always all use. They say, put your oxygen mask on first, right, and then take care of the others. So you have to sort of remember that because if you start to break down, you know, your health uh, starts to decline, then what will happen? So it's really important to say, it's okay. I need some Mm -hmm. help. And then if you sort of review the caregiving literature in this area, um, the one that that seems to work best is sort of a multi-component intervention. So that means understanding what's going on, some education, reaching out for social support if you have it. Definitely if there's respite available, whether it's adult daycare centers, whether it's family who will come in and and just take, uh, uh, take over the duties or responsibilities for a week, Go for it. You know, put aside the guilt. You're doing the best you can, and you need help too. Um, psychotherapy helps. Going to see a counselor, joining, you know, there's some wonderful programs, uh, you know, in the Alzheimer's, for example, association. There's, there's things that are there. It's it's making them happen and, and saying, no, this is important. My health and my stress level is important to the care of the person I love. Yes. Yes. Um, one of the things I did that I think helped, I didn't, I made a lot of mistakes, but one of the things I think I did pretty well was I simplified my life. You know, you hear about the uh, person who wrote the book about cleaning your closet and only wearing, uh, only keeping 30 different items of clothing that you wear a lot and just kind of disposing of everything else or give it away or I tried to do that with my life and cutting back on, you know, I was one of these people that had recipes that would have 25 ingredients in them. And now I'm a big devotee of four and four and maybe at the most five ingredients in a recipe. And <laughs> just like that, I felt, you know, I was always doing things in such a complicated way. So I cut back on a lot of things. And I think it really did help me. And now that I am not caregiving, I find it's become a principle of my life going forward. <laughs> what do you say yeah. to that? I think, you know, we all have sometimes perfectionistic traits to us that we want to, to do this and we want to have this and we, we've always done it in this way. And so part of it is saying, well, you know, that way worked then. But now I'm exploring something new that will simplify my life. And, and I'm a great believer in simplification, if, if you can, if that's possible. Um, but that's hard sometimes to find when you're in the middle of a caregiving, you know, you're already in the middle of it, you're already deep in, um, 
to, to kind of understand what do I need to get rid of, you know, because it's, it's so, yeah. it comes, you know, one thing after the other. And, and I think a lot of times in caregiving situations that, you know, friends do drop off and, you know, church groups or whatever you've been active in sort of drops off because it's, it's simply no longer possible. So I think some of that is sort of a natural attrition process. Yeah. But unfortunately, some of those things will be what has sustained you, you know, and nourished you as, as a human being as well. So I think simplification works and also, you know, figuring out, well, what, what does fill up my cups? You know, what, what is it that, that I find some joy in still? What is it I still feel beautiful, you know, find beautiful and, and having those things around you and being sort of very deliberate and conscious about that as you're working through the day and, and you know, coping with all of these curveballs that seem to be continually thrown at you. That's a great point, to be sure to retain what's really important, what fills you up, which is very different for different people, of course. Yeah. Well, what, yeah. So... Um, what what haven't I asked you about that you think is so important to share about this subject, Dr. Robinson? Um, I think the one thing that I, I always try to share is there is no one right way. You mm-hmm. know, what works for one person is not going to work for someone else. So, for example, we have um, some caregivers here at the hospital who who really enjoy art, who who love art, who will come um, when they can to an art class and just take them back. And, and that that's what really, you know, they're interested by and absorbed by whenever they can carve out those, those few moments. And cancer is a little bit different to Alzheimer's um, disease and dementia caregiving. Um, yes. Yeah. But that might sound completely horrifying to someone else. Like, what do you mean you want me to go and paint, you know? And, I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so, so find out what works for you. And, and, you know, again, going back to your analogy of simplifying, it doesn't have to be 10 things. You know, if you find a, a stress-relieving list, you often find, you know, pages of, of examples. But it, it might just be having a ritual where you sit down with a with a, a nice cup of you know while well, I'm English so I'm going to say tea of course but a nice cup of tea <laughs> and a yes. favorite book for for just 5 minutes and just slow down the breathing for 5 minutes and remind yourself you've got this and um that it is difficult but these 5 minutes are yours uh, and it might be after you've just finally someone's gone to to sleep and even though you're exhausted you take that 5 minutes to have a breather and then after that, like, okay, what to, can I do to simplify and to reach out? Am I going to accept the, you know, the request from the neighbors? They wanted to bring a, you know, a potluck over tomorrow or, you know, a, a dish over. And, and let me say yes this time and mm-hmm. and accept that help. Yes, yes. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't also add to your wonderful list is I think I would sort of keep television out of it, or at least the news, uh, because when you mentioned having thoughts, you know, that can begin to tear away at your immune system, just watching people screaming and yelling and some of the, I mean, there's so much negativity. I, I think trying to avoid as much of that um, that seems to be encroaching on many of our daily lives 
yeah. and to try to find ways to watch a pleasant movie or something rather than um, things that are that really are negative. What yeah, do you think well, about? I think you're spot on. What we find now is that um, I was talking about some of those immune changes that we see in caregivers by, you know, studies of vaccines, things like that. Interestingly yeah. enough, we see some of these changes with people who are chronically depressed. So so it's a very similar system where, you know, our thoughts get you very, you know, they can be very negative. There can be elements of hopeless to them. And, and I think a lot of people feel that actually when they're looking at the news, literally, because it's, yeah. it, it activates all of those most negative thoughts about society. And we know the news only reports a lot of times that the the scandals and, and the really horrifying things that would grab the headlines and not about the beauty, not about, you know, the the world that is so magnificent that is around it. There's so much, you know, beauty and goodness. And if we can put our thoughts when we're in darker times to things that are beautiful and remain constant, whether it's the, you know, the sound of the sea or the blue of the sky or the flowers in the garden, then part of us, you know, can remain calm despite the fury and the storm that's around us. Well, how beautifully put. I mean, and I just love how you just said that. And um, I just find your whole personality and your approach, Dr. Robinson, to be so gentle and um, reaffirming. And I just know um, patients at your hospital are very lucky to have you. Well, well, thank you. And I think this radio show is is serving a a really um, very important service because I think caregiving um, is is overlooked and I think caregivers don't also give um, themselves enough credit for um, really the beautiful act of of humanity that they are doing. Um, For me, there's nothing more noble than taking care of someone you love even when it's feeling so overwhelming, even, you know, so so staying there... um, in such difficult circumstances and and even when the person that you love there seems to be very little left of that person because you know whether through a neurological condition whether you know dementia has has changed them so radically that the the beauty of love remains and um then the things that you know duty that um is just really selfless sacrifice, and I don't think caregivers and what they do um, are acknowledged enough by our society about how difficult that is and how what a wonderful act it is as well. Well, thank you so much for those lovely words of wisdom for our audience. Um, our time is up, I can't believe, but I thank you so much for all of the... I, I, I really appreciated today the background that you gave, the, the medical background of what's really happening, and then brought our audience forward to what are the things that you can do that will keep your body intact and keep your immune system high. Um, I appreciate it. Um, I know our audience did. And thanks to our audience, as always, for, for listening in. I want to remind everyone that there will be an archive of this show should you want to listen back to it 
or whether you want to share this with a friend. I hope all of you out there share it with at least one friend. And Dr. Robinson, thank you again. I know we'll have you back on the show at a later date, and uh, we appreciate all of your fine work and for taking the time to come on our program today. Well, thank you so much, and um, I hope everyone out there does one good thing for themselves today as a result of this. Wonderful. Goodbye, everybody, and have a great rest of the day. Take Bye. care. Bye.